All right, we're here today with my first guest, Brandon Grumbaum. Uh, Brandon and I go back over 20 years, right? At least, yeah. Well, I was a year behind you in high school, so uh, uh, 96, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. when I played with Grant, with your older brother. Right, yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah, so we've known each other for a (laughs) – yeah, we're getting too old, man. So, we are uh, (laughs) – I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to have Brandon on here because Brandon's somebody that, you know, I've met through baseball and it's really kind of been the point of the podcast is, you know, introducing my audience to people that I've gotten to know through baseball. And Brandon is one of the interesting people that I've met through baseball who has a really cool story, has done some really cool things, who continues to do cool things. Um, and so I think he's a really good one to kind of lead this off with. So you know, people can kind of get an idea of, the wide range of things that he's done uh, and getting into some of the baseball stuff as well that he's done. So I'm, I'm really stoked to have you on here today. Yeah, <clears throat> me too, man. I'm, I'm honored to be the first one, I guess. That's, that's pretty cool. And I know we talked about some stuff before, but um, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm super stoked for you. Uh, I always try to support my friends who are trying to go out and do something uh, on their own or something different, just because my whole life has been like that. I've never been a, um, work for the man type of person. I've always liked my own thing. And uh, anytime I see somebody trying to do something on their own, I always, I love trying to support it. So I'm glad I could contribute and hopefully have a fun day today. Yeah, I appreciate you helping me out. Um, You know, you are definitely somebody who has gone out and and, um, experienced a wide range of things. And so it's funny to say wide range, like the book range right now is, you know, kind of a, a hot thing that people try to talk about, whether it's better to generalize, um, you know, get a wide, a wide uh, array of things that they excel in or do or whatever. And then, you know, the other side is trying to specialize. Um, you've done some really cool things. And so I think some of them, like as much as I would say you're like a generalist, they're very specific to where like, like you're a pilot, you can't generalize being a pilot, like that's very specific. So, right. you know, you're a pilot, um, you, I mean, I'm going to say you've been a competitive dancer. And a really good one. Um, you know, you own a <laughs> long time ago. A long time ago, I know. Yeah. Uh, a putter company, right? You build them. Do you make them yourself? That's yeah. That's that's what I'm doing right now. Is um, you know, I'm left-handed, and, and you know, uh, when it comes to golf equipment, left-handed stuff is few and far between. Even even today, with how popular the sport is, it's quite unbelievable that uh, big brands like Titleist or Scotty Cameron don't make a lot of their models in left-handed putters or left-handed clubs, you know, wedges, drivers, whatever. They'll give you one, maybe two different variations. And so when I was getting really into golf again and starting to kind of play competitively tournaments, stuff like that, um, you know, you're fine tuning your equipment and you're like, okay, I want a left-handed, uh, you know, answer to style putter with the flow neck and who makes that? And uh, they make plenty of them in right-handed and they didn't make any in left-handed. I couldn't find anything. And so um, it was kind of built out of frustration, really. I, I took a Scotty Cameron number, uh, Newport 2, and I cut the plumber's neck off of it, and we welded a, uh, a flow neck that I rigged up, and uh, that kind of started it. And, and people started seeing that, especially in the lefty community, and I started rebuilding other companies' putters to, to kind of suit left-handed people. And then, of course, the right-handed market takes over. It's like 88% to 12% in right-handed to left-handed. So um, then I started just customizing and uh, learning to hand stamp. And that, that's kind of been my um, specialty is the hand stamping. Um, <clears throat> I think my putters play really well, but I think they have a really cool vibe and a cool design. You know, it's, it's all Huntington Beach made. Uh, everything is made in Huntington Beach. We mill them on a CNC mill out of a solid block of steel in Huntington Beach. And then they're finished and cut and stamped and painted and everything here. So uh, I try to get that SoCal vibe for it. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things where I was so frustrated and then was so tired of doing other company stuff that somebody's like, you should start your own brand. And I like, well, I don't have the means to even attempt that, but uh, it kind of, you know, worked out that I did. And um, yeah, and we're only a year into it now. It was a good year. Last year was my first year selling and did really well and got really popular. And uh, it's, it's actually quite funny. People call and they're like, oh, this is Brandon Matthew. You know, that's, that's the name of the brand. It's Brandon Matthew. That's my middle name. Um, Grunbaum didn't, uh, it didn't flow very well with the, no. 
the marketing. So yeah, first middle probably flows a little better. Yeah, can't throw Capuccelli in there. But yeah, <laughs> but no, it's cool and and it's uh it's exciting to kind of see where it's going because uh, uh have a couple putters that are making it to the professional tours now, uh, Champions Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, and uh, next stop is PGA. So um, getting some connections and and try to get into some tournaments and once that happens, I think it'll just you know hopefully blow up. <laughs> What, what is so, that? What's that process like? Because I've heard from people, you know, for example, trying to get into, um, you know, building bats, you know, making their own bat company yeah. that, you know, it's really difficult given the fact that you're trying to get them certified. I don't know if that's the same process in golf by any means, but, you, you know, know, it's trying to get them into the, the professional's hands. Yeah. And, and that's just what it is. It's, I didn't reinvent the wheel by any means. There's nothing that's so proprietary or this amazing design of my putters. They're, they're the basic, I've got four models. I've got like a number one, which is the older, you know, ping answer style, the number two, which is the, the flatter bumper. So it wasn't that I took anything and said, wow, look at this amazing piece. Like some of these other companies are doing. Um, I, I make putters that I call, you know, that they're meant to game, you know, it's what, what's proven to, to work and what guys like. And, uh, I think it's kind of coming down to who you know and how popular you get. Um, a couple of my competitors that really blew up got one putter in the hands of a, of a PGA pro and all of a sudden millions of people are learning your name and you just you blow up like that. So um, some of the connections I'm, I'm starting to get, uh, I'm hoping will get me into that situation. Uh, the tougher ways are going to vendor days, paying for a vendor badge to get to a PGA tournament setting up your equipment and hoping uh, a tour pro that isn't signed with somebody else looks at it and says, Hey, this is cool, you know, and rolls it and likes it and wants to play it in the tournament. And then once it's in the tournament, then you get on a list of equipment that's been played in the tournament and it goes from there. So um, I'm kind of in the mix of trying to figure it out, to be honest. I, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> get in the right person's hands and hope it takes off. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, if, if somebody can play with it at a PGA event, that's one thing. If somebody can win with it, um, you know, I have a friend who has a story where his company built a putter for BJ Singh and, uh, he won a major and he got like 8,000 orders in, in the next week and he couldn't fulfill any of them. I mean, it's like, I had a couple, I think I probably had, um, a couple hundred orders last year wow. and it was like a freak out mode, like hair falling out. Like, Oh my God, I'm like three weeks behind on this one. And just to imagine that quantity of, a of an order would be uh, amazing for one, sure. but uh, start thinking about how you're going to fulfill it. The other is, is kind of the interesting part, but I'd rather have that problem than be sitting around doing nothing and yeah. not making anything. So <laughs> no, yeah, that's really cool, man. I mean, I have to imagine that getting that out there the first time you see it, you know, on a PGA tour would be pretty awesome. It's uh, you know, when, I, when we got it to the guy who played in the champions tour um, it was, an immediate like marketing dream for me. Cause obviously my background's in marketing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, going back 20 years, I've been in promotion and marketing and graphic design. So, uh, every little thing about my business now is, was thought out beforehand, you know, the logo right here, the signature logo, everything was like, can this be used on the putter? Can it be used on a business card, on a shirt, on a hat? And, um, when you can get something like you can use the PGA logo and put that in your marketing, it's like, it's amazing. Right. It's like, I think that post had more likes and, and comments than any other one up until that point. So um, you just have to learn how to take what you're getting and exploit it and, and really get it out there. And um, I'm very popular with left-handed players, but again, that's only 12% of the market. So, uh, you know, I had a sale a couple of weeks ago and um, I put eight putters up and four right-handed ones sold in 30 seconds and the left-handed ones, you know, they sold, but they took a little longer just because sure. small market. So more, especially you know. that's cool. Though. It is find, yeah. find a problem yeah. and, uh, and take advantage of it, I guess. Yeah. My, my whole objective was to corner the left-handed market. Like that was my whole thought. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be the left-handed putter maker. And, uh, and I kind of, you know, I got very popular with the lefties, but you have to look at it as a business perspective of, you know, there's such a small market, but it's not that I'm not going to make it for them. Like these other companies that like Scotty Cameron came out with his, you know, 20 year anniversary Terillium putter. 
and he had four different models and he didn't make one in left-handed. And it's like, that was kind of the final straw for me. And looking at how we machine putters, it's like literally reflecting the graphic. You know what I mean? The, the, the CNC file. Oh, it's right-handed. We reverse it. Now it's left-handed and it mills out the same exact way. You know, it's like that for them to say that it costs so much to manufacture left-handed stuff is irritating to me because to me, it's, it's nothing. It's just flipping the, the program. So that's but pretty cool. People, hopefully people see that and go, oh, these guys making lefty stuff and, and uh, continue to build. I mean, there's a lot of lefties out there, especially in Canada, believe it or not. I have a ton of orders <laughs> in Canada. A lot of lefties up there. Wow. So, I've never, yeah. uh, never, never knew that was Weird. a big, yeah, hotbed for it's, lefties. It's weird, yeah. A lot of hockey players and a lot of golfers are left-handed up there. So, wow. so are, are you still are you still flying? I haven't flown professionally in probably two years now. Okay. Um, I flew that corporate jet for eight years. Oh, wow. um, and I was flying specifically one company. Um, you know, the president of the company. And then he would let friends use it. They'd go to Vegas, they'd go on trips, but we were going to Dallas all the time and um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then like Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. And it turned out that they were moving the company to Texas, like a lot of other companies in California have been. So uh, when they moved the airplane, the other pilot went with them and uh, I didn't go. I, you know, I had no desire to go to Texas. Um, it had, you know, just too much stuff tied down here. And, uh, you know, I just, Southern California weather, it's like, I can't argue with it. You know, it's, yeah, it's right. so tough to leave. But yeah, so when, when that plane uh, moved, I contracted a little bit with uh, a larger jet, actually, at a Riverside Airport for one company. And then, um, you know, it, it's a tough life. You're gone all the time. And, and when airline guys, you know, they're like three on, four off, or four on and three on. When it comes to corporate and, and, and private jet flying, you could be gone for two weeks and, wow. and you're just sitting, you're sitting at the destination waiting for your, your people to be on vacation or whatever. Now it's cool. Sometimes when you go on vacation, like we went to Vancouver for eight days. It was awesome. We did all the tourist stuff. We went to Whistler. They pay for everything. And I'm being paid my regular rate to be there, but it's days when you fly to like some podunk airstrip in the middle of the desert and you're <laughs> sitting there for 12 hours doing nothing Oh. And then going to Dallas over and over and over again. It's like, it's like you live there and you have friends there now, but you have no possessions. You have no job. You have nothing to do. It's like, I would try to sleep in as much as possible. And then we'd go to lunch and you'd go people watch at the mall. And then you just go to dinner and then you're out drinking and you're partying because you're just trying to waste time. Sure. And, you know, we would go to these restaurants so often that, you know, somebody asked me one time, like, you know, where do you live? And I, I said, I live in Huntington Beach. And they go, no, not where you're from. Like, where do you live here? And I said, I don't, I don't live here. I live in Huntington Beach. I just fly here often. And they're like, you're at this restaurant every day. It's just, That's you nuts. know, it, it's like Groundhog Day sometimes. It's just after you've yeah. done all the tourist stuff, it gets, it gets old. And then, you know, you're flying up in the air at, you know, 38,000 feet. And you're just kind of, you know, the, the planes are so advanced now that you're just kind of monitoring when you're not taking off and landing. You know, you're monitoring radios and, yeah. and, and changing some things. But um, it was a lot of fun, and, and it was a great experience. And it was me trying to get out and do something new. Um, but it's expensive. You know, like keeping your, um, your type ratings in the Jets is like $20,000 a year. Really? You know, yeah. And, and you could have flown 365 days that year, and you have to go back to flight training for two weeks and demonstrate that you can fly the plane and do the emergency stuff. And it's, it's a lot of work. So uh, after the jets, I flew a photographer back in California for a while, um, which was awesome. It's, you know, flying a little airplane, your hands on the whole time, you're flying the plane, low altitude. And then, um, you know, I just got kind of back into my original career of, you know, marketing and uh, a creative director and, and it kind of fizzled out. I was making more money doing that. And, you know, I can go get a plane right now. We can go fly. We can go have fun. But uh, it's, a, it's a tough business to be in. I bet. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, like, you can't just be a pilot and, you know, do it for fun, do it for a hobby. I mean, I'm sure you can, you know, enjoy it and there's an enjoyable side to it. But like you said, you're keeping up with, you know, education and safety precautions yeah. and stuff like that. Like, it's not just, it's one and done, you know, and you're, 
you got your license and you're good. Right. And, and you know what? It's, it's a lot of work. It's a mental game. I mean, you're constantly uh, monitoring for emergency situations and, and, and they happen like constantly. I mean, there's emergencies all the time and maybe they're not severe emergencies, but I've been in situations where I'm like flying and I'm like, what the hell am I doing up here right now? You know what I mean? Like I could have been sitting in my office still and now I'm like fighting an engine failure or a gear malfunction. And uh, I got passengers in the back and we have to land safely, but you know, your training kicks in and it's a lot of fun and you're, you know, you're pumped. It's like, like an emergency worker, you know, they love fighting fire or whatever. Uh, so it's the same kind of thing. Like you, you're there, you know what to do. You're calm, you're collective, but at the end of it, you're just kind of like, you know, like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I bet. So, so, so right now, so it was funny cause I was looking up some stuff, you know, I want to make sure I was accurate in, uh, in some of my questions and stuff. So what have you got going right now with greenhouses and hydroponics? Nothing. Oh, really? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, that, that's old stuff. Oh, okay. That was at my, at my old house. This oh, is really? when I was when I was right in between like flying and then trying to figure out what the next step was. I had a lot of downtime, mm -hmm. and I got really into growing like tomatoes and cucumbers for some reason. And uh, and knowing me, it was like I can't just grow it in a dirt pot. Okay, sure. if there's a if there's a better way to do it and a more technical way to do it then I'll try it. And I don't know what it was about like plumbing and like water flow, but I absolutely loved it. I don't know why I loved pumping water and nutrients and stuff to all these buckets and then like letting it flow back into this sump. It was, it like gave me flashbacks to when I was a kid playing with like PVC pipe and a hose. And uh, I don't know what the obsession was, but it was, it was kind of funny, uh, cool. but it was cool. I grew a lot of cool stuff and it was like amazing how, massive things grew and how quickly they grew when you're just you know you've got the right situation and the, the roots are like in nutrient-rich oxygenated water and not soil i mean i would grow cucumbers that were like massive and they would be like this big and the next day they're like that and then they're like that and then you're picking them and you're making pickles and you know it's like it was a lot of fun but it, it, it's a lot of work oh i bet and it so, was funny so it's like when, when i was looking on on youtube you know i'm searching through it oh. i'm like <laughs> Dude, you've got like 63,000 people following you on YouTube. I'm going, is this, is this for real? I had no idea. And I didn't know you were that far into it that you had like a big following. I didn't even know there was that many followers, to be honest. I have no idea. I haven't updated those videos. It's so funny. I, I, I allowed the monetization on those videos and I was starting to like make money like through YouTube. Like I would get these deposits and I still every month, six or seven, eight years later, get like $150 deposit. Really? You know, it's not much, but it's, yeah, every, I don't even, all of a sudden it's like, I'll get an email, uh, check deposit from Google or YouTube. Wow. And it's just, I'm like, I can't believe these are still generating income because they're so old. Mm -hmm. You know, they're at least six, seven, eight years old, but um, people were like commenting all the time and I was trying to answer. And then it just got overwhelming. Like you should do this and you should do that. And I'm like, I don't even have this system anymore. Like, thanks. Yeah. But yeah. So I stopped answering them and, and I, I didn't know there was that kind of following. That, that's yeah. pretty crazy. I should, should make a new one maybe. Start, yeah. Start back up. <laughs> yep. So, okay. So again, the pilot, obviously awesome. Like the golf clubs, I mean, you've done so many cool things, but to me, the, uh, the one thing that I think is really cool is that you are an author and that you mm -hmm. have written two books, two, two right? And I have yeah. both, but so there they are. Yeah, I got those. Yeah. Um, so for one, I don't know that we're going to have another guest on here that has a better backdrop than what you have. Um, that's that's <laughs> yeah. legit, this is, by this the way. This is just half of it. Yeah, that's really, yeah. That, that works. Um, you know, so the, the historical significance of a lot of this stuff is, is what it is, what's cool about it. But. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say. It's you, the books are about the history of the baseball. And right. it's, it's unique because, you know, you don't have, like, obviously you've got historians or, and whoever who um, will write about the history of baseball or like the beginnings of the game and stuff like that. And you right. went to the beginning of, beginning of the baseball, like the physical yeah. baseball. So for one, how did you get into that? How did that become interesting to you? Because the research you did, I mean, I've read both your books, like the research you did, it was unreal. Um, talk a little bit about that. So that's, it's pretty incredible. It was you know, like anything, it's all by mistake, really. And I've always been a baseball fan, you know, obviously playing and, and um, 
collecting angel stuff basically um, from the get-go. And I don't know where I was, but I, I saw a ball that was from like the 1950s. And, you know, prior to 2000, it was American League and National League equipment. So even though we still have the AL and the NL now, they played with an American League ball design and they played with a National League design. And so while now we have the commissioner, we had presidents of each of these, um, uh, you know, groups, uh, league. leagues. Yeah, uh, from the get-go. So um, on this baseball, it said William Harridge and it said official American League baseball and it was by Reach, which was the company. And I was just so intrigued by how old it was. I'm like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And it looked so brand new to me um, that I said, you know what? Uh, I love the American League. I'm a big American League guy. Um, I'm going to try to collect all of the American League baseballs, you know, with little knowledge of, of how many actually existed. So when I tried to do that research, I'm looking around. And I'm like, oh, man, there's like, there's like two different Heritage baseballs. And there's this president. And there's this president. And it turned out being, oh my God, there's nine different Heritage baseballs. Like, um, so I'm just going through like auction houses and eBay listings and just collector forums and just trying to figure out what your everything was. And it was just quite amazing to me that nobody had compiled anything um, even remotely close to what actually existed. And so I kind of set out, I'm going to collect. So at first it was just collecting. Okay. I got the 1919 ball and I got the 1925 and the 1930 and then the red and blue stitched versions and the red stitched. And then it was like my collection kept growing and growing. And then my designer background kicked in and I said, you know, I could probably put something together <clears throat> and not have to pay anybody. I've done the research. I can design it. I can do the photography. Um, let's give it a shot. And, and it kind of started out with American league and then, um, you know, Jade and my wife, before we were married, she bought me a national league ball and it was like a 19, I think 19 or 21 or something. It was, it was pretty significant. So that kind of got me on the kick to, um, <clears throat> go national league. So as I started collecting more and collecting more, I started buying a lot of stuff and, you know, it's expensive of course, but, um, once I started compiling everything, um, I started getting a lot of attention. Brandon's the guy to go to if you have questions. Brandon does this. And then one day I get a call from Tom Schieber, who's the senior curator of the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. And he's uh, asking me a question about a ball they have. And he goes, if I send you a couple pictures of this American League ball, can you tell us what year it is? And I was like, <clears throat> you know, me? Like, you're like the senior curator of the Hall of Fame and Museum is asking me to date something. And then I just started getting a ton of stuff in. And it was like, what year is this? What year is this? And I'm like, okay, my book went from being like a coffee table style book to now it's going to be a guide. It's going to list every ball and it's going to say why it's this year, what makes it different from the year before, you know, not only construction wise, but stamping wise. And stamping is obviously the key. You know, you're talking, there could be two stars left and right of the American League and then the next year, there's a third star. And then there's an eighth inch gap between the cushioned cork center. And the next year, it's a quarter inch gap. So little things like that kind of got me going, oh, this is, this is why it's this year. And then looking at, you know, World Series balls or team sign balls. And then it was just very interesting where it went. Once the books came out, it wasn't baseball collectors that were buying it like I thought. It was authentication houses. It was auction houses. It was authenticators, the FBI, you know, Yankee Stadium. I, I got all these orders in, and it became that my books were the go-to for fraudulent autographs. Wow. So you have things like Pawn Stars where the guy Drew Max was authenticating all this crap. And um, it was like the, the one that kind of got me bigger on the map was Las Vegas Channel 7 called me and they said, this guy says his baseball is real. This guy says it's fake. You know, can you give us some insight? And because William Harridge was the president from, for so long, you know, 1931 all the way to 1959, there were different variations of the ball. So the most fraudulent autograph out there is like Babe Ruth. And this, this Babe Ruth autograph was signed on a 1958 William Harridge baseball. 
looked very similar to the baseballs from the 1940s. Now, Babe Ruth died in 1948. So there's just no way possible he signed this ball. So all of a sudden it blows up that all these authenticators are getting my books. I mean, I'm selling dozens of copies to like PSA and all these authentication houses who are like, holy crap, you know, we just authenticated this and it's the balls five years later than, than the death of Ty Cobb or Lou Gehrig or somebody. So got really popular like that. And um, when the FBI fraud division contacted me and bought a few sets, I was just like, I've made it, you know what right, I mean? Yeah. So it was like the coolest thing ever, <laughs> you know what I mean? So That's now awesome. the books, I donated a couple books to the Hall of Fame and I've been there and uh, I've seen some things in that basement. You know, the, the museum up top has a lot of great stuff, but it's nothing compared to what's in the basement. So right. my opportunities that I got to go see things and then like I've held things that, you know, that only the people at the Hall of Fame touch. You know, Ty Cobb's last, I'm sorry, Ty Cobb bats, Ty Cobb baseballs, Ted Williams' last home run that he hit, that baseball bat, I've held it. I've swung it. Wow. Uh, Wonder Boy bat. I mean, Babe Ruth uh, jerseys and hats and, you know, Roberto Clemente's glove and his hat. There's so much stuff in that basement archive. It's like unbelievable, the history that's down there. And half of it never even makes it upstairs. That's nuts, man. I mean, it's, it's the history of the game, obviously, is so long. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's those guys, the, the idols, the legends of our game, you know, those guys are, are just so revered that I think anything from them, um, anything connecting like the heritage of the game to right now has got to be really cool. And then, like you said, yeah. you get a, an actual like person who has the knowledge of, of something because autographs obviously are a huge industry. And, yeah. you know, we see it every day. You see guys showing up with these clipboards trying to get a dozen baseball cards signed and you know obviously you're talking about guys that are you know hot prospects right now and you don't know how they're going to pan out in 10 years but right. now you're talking about guys from 60 75 years ago um people that are trying to make a mint off of their autograph that are not even real and, and they don't even know that yeah. they're getting a baseball sign that was made after they died yeah there's so much fraud out there it's unbelievable i i actually have three babe ruth signed baseballs in this collection and um, they're all, you know, the first one I bought, you could barely see it. The second one is very old. And when you had the quotes and the third one's a little bit better, but you know, it's, it, this collection is, I mean, it's this ball right here is from the 1934 world series. It's the things that are here are, are so unbelievable. And it's like, I just, I want to share it with everybody. Like this doesn't belong in my man cave. I want to put it somewhere where somebody can go down the line and look at a ball from 1878 and say, my God, like, it's unbelievable that that exists still. You know, some of this stuff here, you know, these are Civil War era baseballs. This is like the birth of the game. And, and to have it and have them in this condition, you know, you've got belt balls and the first type of uh, figure eight baseballs. And then to see in the 1880s how close they came to what a ball looks like today it's quite astounding. I mean, all these baseballs are over a hundred years old and some of them are pure white. And, and, and they, you, it's something that if you picked it up, you could go play with it right now and feel like it was a yeah. normal ball. So what's it's, your, it's, it's pretty crazy. What's the oldest ball that you've got? The oldest ball. Um, well, it's probably one of these uh, like civil war era balls. So we'll go with like this guy here. So this would be, what's called a uh, lemon peel baseball. So you can see the, where's the camera? You can see the stitching kind of comes from one, two, three, four spots. So they call it lemon peel because the little shape of it kind of looks like, you know, lemon squares or whatever, or, or a cut lemon. So it's a little smaller than a normal ball. This is, would be called like a lively ball. It's very firm. And something like that would have been played in the 1850s, 1860s. Wow. So civil war era, um, you know, a ball like this, this quality was a very rare find back then. You know, I've, I've authenticated baseballs that had rocks in the middle of them. You know, they would start it with a rock and just start winding it around and they're using boot laces to, to stitch things. And, um, that's probably the oldest, uh, professionally, the oldest one I have would be like 18, 
90 maybe. And it looks like a regular baseball, to be honest. It's, it's single stitched. It's in my books, historyofthebaseball.com. If you want to really take a look, but um, I, yeah, I've got so much stuff. It's like overwhelming. This is every national league ball played from 1876 to, to 1999. And this side is every American league ball. So uh, it's, you know, that's awesome. It's a big collection. It's a lot of stuff. A lot of people want what I've got. I've had offers on, you know, the entire collection and piecing right. it out. And, and there's, you know, it's my biggest mistake was trying to collect the boxes. Yeah. Because you have to imagine, you're, you know, boxes back then, you rip it open. Even today, sure. you rip the box open, get the ball and go play with it. So you can see, I mean, these are a hundred years old pieces of cardboard. Like I've literally spent $500 on a, piece of cardboard from like <laughs> 1923 and you're like you just can't believe that you're spending that kind of money on something but it just makes it so complete you could see like some of these you know the tops are ripped off but it's so cool to see in person because there's so much color and you know in the national league being red and black stitching and the american league being red and blue a brand new ball with that red and blue stitching is it's so exciting to see in person because it's not something that you see today you know, sure. it's a baseball is baseball now, right? Red stitching, all the blue lettering. They're cool. Obviously, you know, it's fun to look at, but to see something with the tinier stitching and the multicolor showed how like patriotic the game was back then. Like it was, they, they loved the art of the game as well as the, the game itself, the art of the equipment. So it's crazy even now, like you, you see, you know, kids at games and how badly people are not kids, adults, like grown men that want a baseball, you know, like, yeah. Somebody's played catch with it's, it's kind of funny, um, but like there is a historical significance behind it. It was really cool. I was in Huntington, cleaned out my mom's garage, and you know, I found a 1994 World Series ball, which is like my coolest yep. baseball that I have because there wasn't a World Series in 1994. So, right, like, those types of things, I guess, there's when there's significance behind it, you know, it makes it a little bit more cool. And, and you have it from you know, way, way back, Civil War era yeah. up till the years when they're separated, like that's really cool. I've been trapped because once you start, like I'm a chronological collector, right? So I have to have everything. So this is every World Series ball from 1978 up until 2020. And, wow. uh, you know, red and blue, red and blue, red and blue. And then they went to gold. But um, yeah, so now I have to buy one every year. It's just to add to the collection. But yeah, now it's now. been 10 years since I've been doing that. So, but yeah, that's every World Series ball right there. This whole side here. So it's uh, you'll have to wow. come over and take a look next time you're yeah, in town. Yeah, for sure. There's so much stuff here just to go like, oh my god, I can't believe it. A Roberto Clemente signed baseball. It's like holy crap. You know, it's like some people come over here and they're just like, it's one of my friends was over the other day and he was like, he didn't had no idea I had all this stuff and he's like, can I bring my dad here? <laughs> it's just <laughs> you know people want to sh want to share it and it's it's just so cool, um, you know that I've got it. But it's years of collecting and it's a lot of money spent. And, uh, you know, did you, did you get into, to, it needs to be on display somewhere. Did you get into the autographs as much as the baseball themselves? Originally I was, I was at like angel games when I was younger, trying to get signed things. And then I was like, Oh, Mickey Mantleball, I'm going to buy it. And then as I started collecting the, the actual chronological baseballs, it kind of faded away when I started getting opportunities to get more stuff like the Babe Ruth baseballs, um, you know, going down the list, it's like, I've got Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams and Yogi Berra and Roberto Clemente. And I mean, there's so many that I have that it was really cool at first. Oh, I want these players, but you know, it kind of fizzled for me and I really wanted to concentrate on the ball itself just because I knew there was a completion to my collection and I still don't have everything. But and I didn't buy anything for five years. I was looking and looking and looking for a 1912 American League and then a 1909 American League, and they're just non existent. It's like I have probably one of three known to exist 1908 National League baseballs because the president during that era was only president for two years. I'm sorry, not for two years, but his last year was 1909, and he killed himself midway through the season. This is Harry Pulliam, so his stamp you know, only a certain amount of balls were made during that year. So to have one and thinking back then they used two or three balls a game, right? Yeah. It wasn't a new ball every pitch like it is nowadays. Sure. And they were allowed to spit on them 
and throw it in the dirt and scuff them up. So the fact that there's even any um, specimen around from that era is a miracle on its own. Um, I flew all the way to New Jersey to buy two baseballs from a guy um, who was like 93 and his dad had these balls and they were still sealed in the box. Um, the American League boxes. I, I opened one up. The other one I kept sealed. But I literally opened a box from 1916 to show this ball inside. And it's wow. just, you know, it's like unbelievable. It's, is, is, there a, uh, is, is there a ball that it's like your unicorn, your dream ball that you'd love to have that you haven't been able to acquire yet? You know, there's um, – I'm the kind of collector that I'll take any condition – as long as I have it. So I would do a lot of trading up. Like I finally found like a 1904 American league ball and it was in garbage condition, but I had it. Mm -hmm. And then one comes along. I sell that one. I buy the newer one. I would say the stuff that is um, unicorn style would be early national league, 1878, 1879 um, things that weren't dedicated Spalding baseballs yet. Now the hall of fame has dozens and dozens of these. And um, you know, Anything in the market would be like $20,000. It's just, they're so valuable and they're so rare that getting something like that, you know, I think I'm past the point of collecting that I would pay anything like that. Sure. I think the most I ever paid for one single, you know, baseball that wasn't signed by anybody was like, I think 4,500 bucks. It's a crap ton of money. You know what sure. I mean? It's yeah. like, but I needed it oh, and I needed to go in the book. <laughs> And I wanted a picture yeah. of it. You know what I mean? I just needed it. But um, no. there's baseballs in the Smithsonian that are in my books that they let me take photos of really? um, that are just, yeah, non-existent. It's just, those are the kind of balls where I go, if I really saw something like that available, I'd probably try to snag it up, yeah. but nothing, nothing over a certain amount anymore because, you know, it's just, I'm not, I, I've kind of like, this was my, I've done this, right? This is the collection. It's here. If some things come along, fine. But I moved on to new things now. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Like, I didn't think I was going to buy anything. And, like, I literally bought a baseball two months ago yeah. that I had no intention of buying. But it was like, oh, you have a 1909 and you're going to sell it to me? Uh, okay. And I drove all the way to Vegas to pick it up in person. So it's really? like, you know, yeah, I just, you just can't, you can't let something like that get in the mail, yeah. <laughs> especially now. Like people are losing packages left and right. Yeah, it's not probably not when so, you want to lose. Yeah. So what's so. what's next for you? What's like your next uh, what's your next adventure you're gonna be diving in on? You know, everyone asks me that kind of thing. And you know what it is? I just get bored so easily. It's like I, I'm a been there, done that kind of guy. I think right now, um, financially, the golfing, you know, the putters the Brandon Matthew company has benefited me more than anything I've done. Yeah. Um, I had a really good year last year. I enjoy making the putters. Um, I think that the potential is massive looking at what some of my competitors make and how much they've sold in the golf industry is like unbelievable. And they're small right. companies. And so, you know, everyone's like, you're a boutique shop. You should do boutique things. But, um, knowing me it's like i just see it on such a more massive scale uh right now everything i make is very custom uh one-offs you know i'd make you something we put your number on there or we put your initials on there or somebody wants a specific saying stamped in um but my next step and we're actually milling them out as we speak is a oem production model same thing scotty cameron does right he doesn't make his money 100 million dollars a year in putter sales by selling the one-off tour models to, you know, the guy that wants to spend four grand on a putter, he sells the $500 or the $400 head that you know exactly what you're getting, you know exactly what it looks like, you click and buy. So that's kind of my next step is trying to get a, a, a design done to where you could just go on my site right now and don't have to worry about going to, oh, custom order. Uh, okay, I'm gonna download the template and draw on it. Oh, I can't think of any ideas to, there's the number one. Uh, I want it in 34 inches. I want it 350 grams. Click buy, and it's there. So that's kind of my vision for, you know, this year is getting something done to where people can just buy, buy, buy. And that's you know, sure. that that's the goal. Is sell yeah, you know, I'll still 
when you when you have it like that then i can charge more for the custom stuff because mm -hmm. it's you know um in the very beginning it was i'll build anything you want you know f-bombs all over your putter i'm gonna build it because i want the yeah. sale and so that's what it was i was building things that i probably wouldn't build now in the beginning because i wanted to get my name out there i wanted the sales so there were a lot of designs where somebody's dreaming it up and they're you know at their house and they're drawing it out and it's amazing to them and i'm just looking at it like it's garbage right it's, not <laughs> it's like i don't want to put i don't want to put my name on this putter but the guy just paid me seven hundred dollars yeah. and so for you it's what fine. you want yeah no doubt. so uh, awesome. i really think that 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 this is it the putters can be the thing mm -hmm. and if we can get it big enough to where it's just you know i've got employees selling to pga tour superstores and roger dunn and golf galaxy and online then it's 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 gonna do its own thing and then uh you know we'll start getting some tour players involved hopefully and uh and go from there you know it's there's no reason that um we can't be a, um a big name i'm not saying i'm the next titleist or callaway or these types of companies but i'm looking at guys that have tried what i've done and they're selling a half a million dollars in putters a year out of their tiny little shop you know like why not yeah you know, okay. if i have the, if I have the marketing and, and the logo and the design and people think it's cool uh, you know, why not me? And uh, people really like my logo. And, and on top of that, the feedback I get from how the putter feels, how it, you know, performs is like quite amazing. Like I had a tour player, a corn fairy player say that he was with Ping forever and he had tried Scotty Cameron putters. And when he put mine in the bag, he thought it was the best putter he'd ever putt with. And I'm just like, that works. thanks. I, you know, no idea what I did different, you know, yeah, maybe right. just a little more, a little more care into it. Right. Sure. Every, I'm, I'm so anal and I'm so particular about what goes out the door um, that maybe that's what it is. Just that little extra care of, you know, this guy wants it 347.5 grams. We're going to get there for him, you know, and uh, I've got a drawer full of heads that I trashed. I would stamp something incorrectly or crooked and I'm so particular that I just scrapped it and started over and built a new putter for somebody. So it's like, you know, a lot of, you know, companies don't do that. If it's crooked, it's crooked, right? If the hand stamping is, is, you know, uneven, it is what it is and they can still sell them. It's fine. But I just, everything that goes out of my door, I want to look a specific way. And hopefully that's yeah, the, uh, the pride of your work. The, 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 yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that's the key to, to success. So. I think that's what's we'll happening see. with a lot of a lot of the baseball bat companies as well, because you, know, you see these smaller companies start to, you know, start on the, like the, the ground level. And, you know, as they grow, you know, people use them and they like the product. They like the quality of the product. And, and because that care factor is put into it, you know, versus being the mass produced and you just let anything go out the door because, you know, it's just another sale. You know, but you're putting yeah. your name on it. You make good, a good product. People like it. I used Carolina clubs forever. Yeah, I know. I'm sure you know that brand. Oh yeah, I, but like, I don't I like know if you see. This is like, uh, I don't know if you can see that right there. Oh, yeah, that's like every bat I used to play with, and and they're all broken. But uh, yeah, I. Shocker. I think that the little companies. What's that? Shocker. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the smaller companies make a better product. It's just I agree. It's, when you're not mass producing, you know, you have time to to quality check a little better. I think, and yeah, and uh, you know. I, yeah. I wouldn't mind having the problem Scotty Cameron has, though. I mean, he sells so many putters, it's, it's like unbelievable. Yeah. But one of my competitors that, was, that, that started out in Huntington Beach, uh, you know, 20 years ago or 25 years ago was friends with Scotty Cameron, and they learned to build together. He still sells a quarter million dollars just to Japan alone. Wow. Every year. So it's like, you know, exactly. these Asian countries, they like to spend money. And um, that's kind of one of my things. I'm actually working with a group. Um, that has a lot of uh, stores and shops in uh, South Korea and oh, wow. you know, Korean golfers are like, you know, it's like you look at the LPGA tour. It's like, there's so many Korean golfers now. Um, and it's, it's a different game there. You know, it's like a, it's still like a country club game to them over there. It's, you know, high class. And so they'll spend the money on equipment. If you look at any, any type of, uh, you know, even Japanese brands or Korean brands, like it's very expensive. So if that pans out, then, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. New market. Yeah, I've got putters all over the world now in, in the UK and in Japan. And I have a couple in, in South Korea, Canada, Hawaii, which is obviously not every country, but you know, it, it's start, it's starting to make its way out and, and it just takes a, you know, just a, that little boost to get going and that spark. Yeah. Could, could be crazy. So hopefully. So what's the, uh, what was that ball there that I saw sitting down in front of you? Since Cold this is, cup. you know, whiskey and baseball. I was going to say, uh, you know, this is, um, something my dad, uh, got like a sample of one time. It's cold. You have to keep it refrigerated. I guess that's why they call it the cold cock. Sure. Um, I've never had anything. Um, I'm not a big whiskey drinker. Uh, what's your go-to? I've, I, you know, I'm a beer guy to start. Okay. That's just going to the river all these years, right? Drinking beer in 120 degree heat. Yeah. Um, when I need to keep it classy, I usually drink extra dirty Grey Goose martinis. Um, but this cold cock is quite lovely, actually. Um, I got now my glasses melted here. That's all right. Is it a is it a whiskey um, like a blender whiskey or what is it? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a herbal flavored whiskey, and uh, uh, it's you know I, I'm trying to look for some kind of description of it, but I mean it it tastes like whiskey to me. It's good. It's yeah. just. <laughs> It's like, it's, uh, it's lighter, I guess. Um, yeah. I would say it's more like a, um, uh, not like Irish whiskey, but it's mm-hmm. definitely not like a dark. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. Me. It's, it's funny, man, because people get like, they turn into these whiskey snobs, you know, yeah. and they, and again, like, yeah, I want to describe them and everything, but at the same time, if it tastes good, drink it. And, and people yeah. like get away from that. this is this is it's very sweet oh yeah and that's probably why i can tolerate it it almost has like a um it just doesn't have that harsh sure you know yeah i I don't know i don't know how to describe it because i don't drink enough whiskey to be like Mm -hmm. all these earth tones and this and that but it's definitely very sweet and i think that the fact that you keep it cold all the time uh makes it easier to drink it's like you know taking shots of vodka right you, you know yeah. when you're a teenager you put it in the freezer <laughs> drink it cold it's a lot easier going down yeah so yeah, that's awesome. it's good yeah drink what you couple, like i have a couple of gifts somebody gave me some glenn levitt and um uh a couple other ones but you know i just i don't drink enough anymore yeah. to to uh to really get into it it's it's you know it's quite funny how hungover i get after like three beers now compared to like drinking 20, 20 yeah. years ago. Right. <laughs> and, and the, yeah, You kind of lose, lose perspective. I, I haven't had beer in a long time. I've pretty much gone yeah. just to whiskey, but you know, we were in, we were in Albuquerque and, and um, we had a rehearsal dinner and, you know, it's at a brewery and in those breweries, I mean, they make such a good product. You know, a lot of, it's the same thing we talked about, like baseball bats, putters, you know, some of these small breweries, they make such a really good product. But yeah, it was the same thing. I had a couple of them and the next day, man, I was, I was in pain. So it's, it's easier to monitor this way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I drank Coors Light for years. I mean, at the river, at the bar, we go to the country bar, Coors Light, Coors Light, Coors Light. And then all of a sudden I'm drinking like, I'd have like nine beers, which is nothing when it comes to Coors Light. And I was like, throw up over the next day. Yeah. 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 Right. But I was like, I was so hung over and it was like this, all of a sudden it's kind of repeating. Like, man, I, I barely drank and I'm hung over like crazy. So I switched to Miller light and, uh, same thing for a while I was good. And then I was hung over like crazy. Yep. And then it was like red stripe and same kind of thing. So now I'm drinking Corona and it's actually got a lower gluten content than any of the other beers mm. they say. And I think that this has benefited me because on some wild nights, I've had plenty of Corona beers and sure. woke up pretty good the next day. And uh, I drink those morning recoveries now. Oh, if you're yeah. ever going to party, I'm you're telling you. <laughs> the morning recovery shot. Okay. You can buy them on Amazon. The greatest thing ever created. Swearing by it. All right. I, I mean, it was like I, I was in Vegas for a trade show. And we were partying. And I'm drinking. I think I probably had 10 dirty martinis. Oh. I was like, I need to go back to the hotel before I die on the street. And I took one of those. And the next morning I woke up and I was like, 
ex- like ready to go just be throwing up the whole day and i was like <laughs> i feel pretty good, good. and my friend's good. like call me when you wake up we got stuff to do i'm like i'm up he's like what do you mean you're up you went to bed like four hours ago trash yeah. it's like yeah i feel good gave one to Jaden after drinking a bunch and she's like we woke up the next day I'm like how do you feel she's like i feel really good so i don't know what they put in there but uh so, it, they're amazing it's better, I, I it's better now just not to go to excess. No. Yeah. It's probably better just not but, get excessively, you know. But but crazy. that's the problem now. It's it's like four beers is excessive for me. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I <laughs> I can't drink without them. So well, at least you know. It just is at what least it is. Surprises. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. Hey, I really appreciate you jumping on here with me. Um what's yeah. Give me your like a website, some social media, people to find you on if they want to learn more about the books or anything else. So the books are called History of the Baseball, not History of Baseball, but History of the Baseball. It's historyofthebaseball.com, and they're on eBay as well, but buy them direct from me, and I don't have to pay fees for everything. Um, That's the American and National League one. And then the website is brandonmatthew.com, and it's M-A-T-T-H-E-W, two Ts. Uh, And my Instagram handle is brandon underscore Matthew underscore putters. And uh, follow me because that's how people think you're cool. The amount of followers you have, right? I got like 3,500 now or something like that, which is pretty significant because that's all organically driven. You know, I didn't pay for anything. We're just got popular by word of mouth, but yeah, let me know. And uh, I know all baseball players usually get to golf sooner or later. That's what we did. So um, nothing like having your own custom stick and having something significant on there and uh, you know, Supporting a small business as well. There you go. One okay. win for everybody. Made in the USA, Huntington Beach, yep. California. So. I love it. Awesome, but, man. Uh, well, yeah, I really thanks appreciate for having it. me. Thanks I hope for this having, takes off on. for you. I hope I hope you do some great things, and uh, we'll be watching it. every every week. Is it going to be weekly or? Yeah, I think that's daily? that's the plan. No, not yeah. daily. I, I I don't know if I can uh, support <laughs> that habit, but yeah, at least, at least weekly. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll spread. Thanks so much. We'll spread the word. Thanks, I appreciate buddy. it. Talk to you later. Bye.